0: In this segment, we'll experiment with the boundaries of storytelling, featuring some of our friends, mentors, and advisors. We'll share perspectives and reframe the narratives that fall on a spectrum. We'll have unfiltered conversations around life, business, and everything in between. Between the vantage point of a deep thinker and an atomic player. Between an objective mind and a subjective heart. Between the truth teller and the truth seeker between two sides of the coin. Hello, everyone. Today we have Gagan Biani, who is an Indian-American serial entrepreneur, marketer, and journalist. He was a co-founder of Udemy, an online education company, and was also the co-founder and the CEO of Sprig, a food delivery company. Now he leads Maven with a massive $25 million Series A fundraise from Anderson Horowitz. Welcome to the show, Gagan. Thanks for having me. I also have along with me Ariel Nissenblatt, who is an OnDeck fellow. Uh, she will be co-hosting along with me.
1: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So to start off, uh, Gagan, uh, Maven's mission, as it's there in multiple places, is to democratize the knowledge of the world's leading experts through cohort-based courses. I'm curious, how did you finalize this idea specifically in 2020? And I would love to hear the vision of Maven from yourself.
2: Our vision is to enable anyone to teach cohort-based courses. And by doing so, we're hoping that we can build an alternative to the modern education system. We think that the modern creator is like the going to be the professor of the future, that people like Sahil Bloom and Anthony Pompliano are going to teach the world how to build a business, how to grow their careers, how to get into podcasting or audio, learn about programming, learn about crypto, whatever it is that people wanna learn, we think the best experts are actually on the internet and not sitting in classrooms and universities.
1: You're speaking our language there because Sashwat and I, this is Ariel, by the way, for folks who don't know my voice because I am co-hosting with Sashwat for the first time, but we are going to be co-creating a course together through Maven and um, it's gonna be on podcasting. So a few of the questions that we have upcoming for you are gonna be about the future of voice and the power of voice and things like that. So I just wanted to cut in there and give some context, but we love what you're talking about.
2: Exactly, and I'm so excited for you two to be teaching people because again, I think that the skills that you're gonna teach are more valuable than a lot of the skills that we learn in school or in traditional, even in the workplace. And so that's what Maven's all about. We want to empower experts to be able to teach what they know to the public and make money doing it.
0: So I think 2020 and 2021 were very unique uh, years, Gagan. So in 2014, there was an article by uh, Justin Fox, who had mentioned in the HBR article that the way to succeed in business by bundling and unbundling. So he was quoting something from Jim Barksdale, and uh, the quote was very nice, is that the only two ways to make money in business one is to bundle and the other is to unbundle and i'm very curious that uh, maven is actually unbundling a lot of the educational university stack per se would love to know your thoughts on those as well
2: yeah I- 100% agree with that. I would say that Maven is taking the educational experience of learning, specifically just learning a new skill that is useful for either your career or for lifelong learning for your personal life and rebundling it over the internet or we're we're really unbundling it and offering one portion of that over the internet. So Maven does not provide, you know, some sort of four-year certification program. It doesn't have a aspect of credentialism, nor does it have a long-term community. There's definitely amazing community built within a course, but not outside of a course. And in that way, we're unbundling the educational experience that you can get either in, you know, universities and MBAs and professional education. And so, yeah, we totally agree.
1: So I'm curious a bit about your background. For folks who might not know a lot about you, what first got you interested in education?
2: I think it's my own education. I was a fervent student growing up. I got great grades all the way through junior high and really believed that the way out for my family was for me to represent my family in the workplace as a educated man. And unfortunately, I was fairly disappointed when I entered high school and started to realize as I got older that the adults that were teaching our future generations were not necessarily providing as much value as I thought they were. And I don't think that's because teachers are bad. I love teachers. I think it's because the entire system of education that we provide is not built for the 21st century. And it does not attempt to take advantage of new things and help teach students in a way that is more useful. So Basically, I was frustrated with my own education, and I felt like education was a barrier to success. I felt like I was spending a bunch of time on busy work at school that wasn't teaching me anything. I felt like I was being treated poorly by teachers for wanting to do things creatively and doing things above and beyond what the classroom required. Things that would help me in my future professional life, but that actually hurt me and got me in trouble in my high school experience. And I felt the same thing happened in college when, because I went to a public school, I was essentially punished for going to a public school and getting not having the same grade inflation that you have at private schools. So I got into different universities as a result. And then, of course, once I got to Berkeley, uh, which is where I went to school, I found that the education system was really mixed. I had some amazing professors that I loved and other ones that I didn't. And it just feels like this system needs to get blown up a little bit. And so I've been on a mission to do that on and off. Uh, the mission has definitely had some major breaks, but I've been on a mission to do that for a lot of my life.
1: I completely agree with you when it comes to kind of being treated differently for having di- different learning styles growing up. I always say now that I've discovered podcasts, I listen to 40 hours of podcasts a week and I, I'm learning constantly through audio. And I always say like if podcasts or audiobooks were more accepted as a learning forum when I was growing up, I would have had a lot more self-confidence as a learner. And so I just think you're right that we do need to kind of blow up this traditional model of education. And I love what you're doing at Maven. And then I love the notion of empowering others to help learning happen all across the board. So just super grateful to be connected and in the larger Maven ecosystem.
2: Yeah, we're so excited to have both of you. And I agree. Audio, I listen to audiobooks every day, basically. And I'd say at least 50% of the books I consume are consumed over audio. I also am a fervent podcast listener. So I wholeheartedly agree that it's a great way to consume information. You get a different feel of information when you read it on a page than in audio. And sometimes I prefer... A physical book sometimes i prefer the kindle sometimes i prefer the audio but why can't people use all media that they want to when they're trying to learn something and the goal should just be to achieve what you want in your career in your
0: life and gagan especially in the maven accelerator when we were interacting with a lot of fellow instructors we loved that experience because they were really top-notch they were the best in their specific fields as well And one of the research that I was doing in the background was that some of the best qualities of exceptional facilitators, of course, they have the clarity, they have the knowledge, they have the spirit of service, thoughtfulness, et cetera, embedded within them. But one of the things that really stands out is empathy, especially when you're trying to build cohort-based courses, that that touch of empathy or that element of being really supportive to yours you know, stakeholders, students, and on their community per se really stands out. And that's what even I felt within the Maven ecosystem as well, while I'm having conversations with VSCO as well as Shiansh Mansali, you know, somehow the touch points were really empathetic. And I'm just curious, how did you create it? Because I'm pretty sure 10 years back, your way of operating businesses and you know, when you were just starting off as an entrepreneur, it would be very different. But over the last nine, 10 years, you would have learned so much from the ups and the downs of your entrepreneurial journey. And somehow it really stands out in your personal touch points as well. We'd love to know your thoughts on those.
2: There are two ways I think about this. One is empathy as defined by your mental understanding of someone else and your ability to look at someone and learn who they are and try to speak their language. And then second, it's the soft skills associated with executing that and making someone feel like you empathize with them. I think I always had the former and it took me a long time to get the latter. So I think I grew up naturally as a curious child and someone who wanted to learn about other people and spent a lot of time watching and asking questions and trying to understand different people from different places all over the world, etc. However, I didn't know how to display that empathy to someone when I was interacting with them. And one thing I think actually Wes and trans probably share with me is, and you may share this, Sashwat, but it's not something that's taught in Asian culture. So Asian culture is more, the way that you show respect is out of servitude and not out of gratitude or empathy. It's more out of uh, respect and rule following. And so the social dynamics are not as soft. And I wasn't raised to know about these things. I will conversely say that I think a lot of these things are over-indexed in Western culture. So to be fair, I think that there's a little bit too much softness, and sometimes it can be really frustrating. But I agree with you overall, which is that it's just better to learn how to interact with people and make them feel comfortable so that you can persuade them, so that you can work with them, so you can get the best out of them, and so that you can be in service to them in a way that makes them other people feel great.
0: Awesome. I love that uh, touch of personalization as well in the Maven ecosystem, especially whenever you are scaling up business models, right? There are authors, there are writers, there are journalists, and uh, you yourself have a journalism background as well, right? So I'm very curious, are there any parallels between journalism, entrepreneurship, and creator economy that you see when you're actually enriching the business model within Maven as well?
2: I see parallels between everything. I think one of my major like insights in life is how there are patterns across all sorts of unrelated fields. So to me, it's not just patterns between the creator economy and journalism, it's patterns between watching a child learn how to focus on, uh, learn how to enjoy vegetables, to learning how to appreciate ballet, to understanding how the Colombian exchange happened in, Uh, 15th and 16th centuries, or in the 15th and 16th centuries. And so, yes, I absolutely see correlations here. The changes in journalism over the last decade or two shown me what was possible in education, first and foremost. So the fact that Twitter is now a news source that I use and trust, oftentimes more than I trust mainstream media, is an incredibly powerful allegory for what is possible in education and what I hope to achieve through Maven. Maven is like Twitter, in my mind, to universities. It doesn't look anything like an educational institution, and Twitter doesn't either, and yet it provides a decentralized alternative to it. And then when it comes to the creator economy broadly, we're seeing, you know, we saw this start in journalism and we're seeing it happen with Substack and saw it happen with blogging. But journalism is one of the first places, because it is a totally free market for the most part, where we saw the creator economy really thrive. And journalism and entertainment are two main areas. And watching that transition into areas like learning uh, has been incredibly powerful and exciting to me.
1: I would love to shift gears a bit and talk about a session that you led during our Maven 3 cohort, which was about voice and the power of voice and using your voice to communicate. So I'm wondering, first, if you could describe some of the tactics that you shared. And uh, Sashwat can go more into those for more details. And then how have those tactics served you over the years as a communicator?
2: I was very lucky in my high school days that I came upon speech and debate. And in speech and debate, I learned how to be a public speaker at the age of 13. From 13 to 18, I both was training myself and learning how to become a better speaker while simultaneously teaching others. So I had both experiences. I ran a small business in high school where I taught people speech and debate. And so what you saw Arielle and Sushwat, in that session was me sharing the core insight about voice, which is that you can change your voice and you can have control over your voice. And this is just an insight about life. So many things we believe to be static about ourselves, you can apply the growth mindset to. And you can change how you communicate with people. Like I can have a higher pitched voice if I want to. And that was a big lesson for me because in high school, I had a really, really deep dark voice that was a little bit aggressive and sounded like I was angry all the time. And I wasn't angry, well, maybe a little bit, but mostly I was just trained to speak in a sort of aggressive way. And so I had to change it to become much more professional and to be more as you said, Sashwat, some form of empathy, right? To make people feel like they might relate to me more, to be more charismatic. And what we do during the session is we run you through exercises that help you practice training your voice. And some of that is about pitch and pace. We also talk about quirkiness or personality. Uh, which you see for me when I reference things like what I was like as a kid or when I just made fun of myself in high school. And then, of course, we also talk about ironing out the quality of your voice, just getting rid of ums and uhs and making it more clear. So we do a ton of drills, some of my favorites. One is you stick a pen in your mouth and you read a speech that you've written for two minutes or five minutes before you go on stage somewhere. And it just sucks all of the saliva out of your mouth and helps you speak more clearly. I wish I had done it before this podcast because I can feel that I could have used it. Uh, Another exercise is an um drill where um, you um, say um um, um, after um, every um sentence, word um, and um, it um, trains um, you um, to stop caring about the word um and stop using it. so these are different drills that we teach in the workshop that I learned in high school that can help you improve your speaking.
1: My mind is blown. That's so awesome, super helpful to me. I, after this, I'm about to go lead a live session, so I will definitely be employing some of those tactics. I really wanna try the pen thing. I'm gonna have to leave myself a few minutes to do that. That's super cool, thank you for sharing. I'm wondering, kind of going off of that, with your experience founding ed tech companies, where do you see cohort-based education going in the future? I mean, you've talked a little bit about it, but what do you think you are, if you could envision 50 years from now, where do you think programs like Maven will be? And who do you see as the ideal learner of Maven-related programs?
2: 50 years is a long time. Let's I'm go probably with five. Thinking I'm probably thinking, well, let's go with 10 to 20 if you're okay, okay with that, yeah. that's where I'm. That's where I'm going. I'm thinking 10 to 20 years out right now. And what I expect is that we are building the building blocks. We are setting the foundation for an alternative education system through online learning. Those building blocks are the best knowledge out there and the best way to consume that knowledge should be available over the internet and we got pretty close with video-based courses and podcasting and audiobooks, but these are single-player games. And the challenge with single-player games are that they are not motivational and learning is extremely difficult. It's much easier to learn in groups and to learn with some accountability. So cohort-based courses take these asynchronous one-player formats and turn them into multiplayer formats that are far more effective. So 10 years from now or 20 years from now, I expect that there will be hundreds or thousands of classrooms around the world where instead of students interacting in person, they'll be interacting over a digital course and they'll learn most of the content digitally and then they'll get in touch in person to actually relate to each other, get to know each other, hang out, and maybe do some physical you know interaction. And I think that you can imagine a world 20 years from now, where if you want to learn any particular skill, like you're an executive, you're a CEO, and you want to become a better CEO, or you are just graduating from IIT and you want to learn how to be a successful engineer in the workplace, you will go online and you'll have an amazing community there for you of other people who are in the same spot who want to learn the same thing you're going to, you want to learn. What that unlocks is that we'll have the degradation of the institution. We will see people seeing college and these like regulatory frameworks around what you should learn and what you shouldn't learn as less credible than actually learning on your own. And people will view learning on your own as more powerful and schools and universities will have less become less gatekeepers or less strong gatekeepers for who can get great jobs. And I think that will be a major boon to our society because these gatekeepers are increasingly expensive. And so they're they're creating a significant amount of debt for society and they're decreasing in effectiveness. So they're not actually teaching people the right skills to be successful. So I'm hoping that in 10 or 20 years, there will be thousands or tens of thousands of instructors on Maven who represent the largest faculty on the world. I think that Maven will be the largest university on the entire planet and that more people will learn from Maven than from any other university in the world. And not just from universities, but also from other professional organizations or other corporate educational programs as well.
0: What an honor and privilege it is to actually listen from you about your 10 to 20 year vision of Maven. In my point of view, there are a lot of dots that got connected because of which this will be a 25 or 30-year-old company as well in the near future. And the reason for that is that when you are in your first 10 years of your career as an entrepreneur, you have done amazing things. And of course, I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow we have a Netflix, uh, you know, maybe movie around you because of uh, the ups and downs and the controversies a little bit attached to it as well. So I'm very curious, like, If you have a 10-year or a 20-year-old vision, for example, you are just devoting your next 10 years, next decade for a massive vision, how does the mind of an entrepreneur work in decision-making in the first few years? And you would have a mental model set in you, right? You would have uh, corrected a lot of wrongdoings or learnings in the first decade of your entrepreneurial career, and you will preferably not do that in the next decade as well. So we'd love to know a little bit about your thinking process and mental model.
2: You have to get there somehow. And so the first thing I was looking for when coming up with this vision was a wedge. And the wedge that we've come up with is helping creators teach courses and monetize their audience. So that is a far cry from being the largest faculty in the world. We only have a 100 instructors probably teaching on Maven at this point. And it's not that we're teaching all the subjects out there that we eventually want to teach. We're just teaching a small subset. In fact, the majority of our courses are focused on things you can't find or wouldn't find in the workplace or at a university. So examples are you're teaching about podcasting. We have other people teaching about crypto. We have other people teaching about DeFi. These are programs and courses that are taught on subjects that there is nowhere else on the internet that you can find a really great education for. And that's pretty compelling. But that's just a start. Eventually, we have to also provide education on more mainstream topics. So eventually, I hope that people will learn SQL and Excel they'll learn how to be better leaders we have some courses on that but i'd like to see a lot more i'd like to see courses on human centered design and lean startup and then of course eventually maybe courses on the classics or english literature or the history of india or you know all sorts of varieties of topics personal development courses like how to become a massage therapist or sleeping better or the science of you know exercise just becoming the best version of yourself, like a Tony Robbins style course. So I think over time, we will see a lot more, but we needed to start somewhere. And we found our wedge and are putting a lot of effort into trying to achieve product market fit with this particular audience right now.
1: Going off of that, if you could teach any course about anything, whether you know a lot about it or not, or you'd have to teach yourself, what would you teach a course on?
2: I spent three years traveling and off work before I started Maven, and the biggest lessons that I learned are a combination of anthropological, geographic, historical, and sociological with a bit of economics. And I think that there's a course that could be taught about how the world works and how it got to where it is that maybe kind of leans into stuff like Sapiens or Guns, Germs, and Steel. I'm reading a book called 1493 that's in this vein. That's a subject area that I don't think I'm qualified quite yet to teach this subject, but it's a subject that I'd really love to teach and I'd love to teach about how different cultures around the world today differ because I think that one of the biggest challenges we have is as a society, particularly the internet-based, you know, white-collar society of that is mostly America dominated we kind of have a very very narrow view of what culture is and we almost ignore the existence of 95 plus percent of humanity today in our conversations around race and gender our conversations around workplace dynamics our conversations around how wealth inequality is spread like all of these things are influenced by a very very narrow set of data points and I think those data points are total bullshit. So I want, I would love to teach a course that brings in more context to people and provides a historical and a modern context to the world today, in a way that opens people's minds up to what is I what I think of. Of course, this would be a course based on my position. So it'd be a very it's not a, a factual course, not a solely factual course, it's like a, a p- opinion course. It's a course more like you would have in college or graduate school that shows a position on the world. But I think it's a position that is widely, people are widely interested in, but have not widely explored.
1: 1493 sounds right up my alley. I wrote that down and I will be downloading the audiobook shortly.
2: <laughs> it's um, amazing. It's yeah. Fascinating I can't wait. book.
1: I'm reading a book right now called New York by Edward Rutherford, and it's all about like the founding of New York and it's about the 1600s and it's just amazing. It sounds kind of right up that alley, kind of the foundations of modern society, but also exploitation of natives. It it touches on everything. It's really, really well done. It's teaching me a lot and I'm listening to it. I love it. I want to ask a question about, about your worldview. And then I think we're going to wrap it up, but I think this will kind of give us a great sense of how you became the way you became and how other folks can, kind of take from that. So we read on your website that you grew up in a household where you spoke what was on your mind, often with an exaggerated tone and extreme language, and then in parentheses, Indian and Jewish people can probably relate. So I'm Jewish, Sashwat is Indian. (laughs) Um, So I'd love to hear about the connection that you find between the two cultures.
2: Well, somehow in my life, I've noticed, and there's a whole like category of, of relationships called Hindus or something. But I've noticed that I've gravitated towards Jewish people, and more broadly, I've gravitated towards immigrants, frankly. So I think Jewish and Indian culture are examples of cultures where the immigrant mentality persists across generations, and that's really the the common thread here, not really that the races are particularly related. I think that we're actually related to lots of other mindsets. I know Argentinian people who moved to the United States who have a mindset similar to us. And I know people from Eastern Europe. And I know even, frankly, some people from from England, which is a culture that's very, very different from Indian culture. But I think that it's an immigrant mentality, really. Um, and it's a mentality that has a lot more gruff to it because most people who are immigrants made the journey over to a new place. And this could be, it doesn't have to be in the United States, but just a new place because they wanted more out of their lives and they are less satisfied with whatever is going on. And that creates a lot of changes in a person. And one of them is, and this is a cultural value that I'm exploring adding to our Maven cultural value list is ultra honest, so I was talking to a friend today, actually a colleague who happens to be Jewish, uh, interestingly enough, and he, I believe he's Jewish, actually, I can't, I, I don't know the the exact, I don't know like the, the, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure he's Jewish, and he and I were talking and he said, one of the big differences between Maven and a previous company he worked at is that at his old company, if people disagreed, they would play this dance of saying, I don't know if I agree with that. And I don't know if I agree with that means. It means I disagree. But it's couched as you don't know, which confuses things because now all of a sudden the word I don't know doesn't mean anything because it always means no. He joked at Maven how when people disagree, they just say I disagree. So that way when someone says I don't know if I agree, it actually means like, hey, I'm really not sure if I agree with this. Like maybe I do and maybe I don't. Instead of I definitely do not agree with you, which is like this is like a very common bastardization of language that occurs when you're being too passive aggressive or too nice is that you actually lose the point of your communication because you're consistently playing this game of how do I water down what I'm saying so it feels better instead of just accepting that disagreement is not bad. It doesn't have to be negative. like we can disagree and still be best of friends. In fact we can be better friends because we have the respect of each other to be w- being willing to be honest with each other. And so that's something that I see in Jewish and Indian culture, you know there's plenty of tropes within Jewish and Indian cultures that talk about the honesty of Jewish and Indian parents towards their kids, you know And that's something I see that's really in common. I think it's in common with a lot of immigrant cultures.
0: Thanks a lot, um, uh, Gagan, for being ultra honest. And uh, a lot of our entrepreneurial fraternity is really rooting for your success uh, on the sidelines and right on your face as well. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you and uh, so happy that you gave your time to us. And we are also wishing you all the best for your upcoming wedding next year. If I, if I, right? <laughs> I think the entire VC community is also aware of that. So, yeah, congratulations and uh, best of the wishes from the Maven community. As Thank well.
2: you. And I'm so excited for y'all's course. And I can't wait to see uh, your students react to how, the amazing experience they have after they've experienced. For a lot of people, I bet it will be their first cohort-based course. So I'm excited to hear how it goes for them.
0: Thanks a lot, Gagan. Really appreciate <laughs>